This is Working for Progress, a podcast that connects us through conversations about how we craft our working lives and make progress. We will be joined by our communities from Tribe Porty and Keystone. Tribe Porty is a community co-working space and creative hub. We are full of entrepreneurs, social enterprises, freelancers, charities and SMEs. Keystone is the other social enterprise which supports women to reimagine their working lives. We do this by providing a holistic approach to business through courses, programs, mentoring, group coaching and events. Welcome to today's conversation. I'm Alice, the community manager at Tribe Porty. And I'm Danny, founder and director of both Tribe Porty and Keystone. Here at Working for Progress, we're all about connecting good people, sharing their stories, their challenges and the progress they make for themselves and for others. We hope this podcast challenges your ways of thinking and inspires you to work for progress. Working for Progress starts with simple pleasures, finishes in awe and meanders through career journeys in between. Today we welcome Chris Hallowell. Chris is the director of the Edinburgh Tool Library, an organisation that aims to create resilient communities by harnessing the wealth of resources that already exist within those communities. This includes tools, equipment, space, volunteers, skills and knowledge. Since their beginning in 2015, the Edinburgh Tool Library has saved their members over £2 million and supported over 100 community groups and charities through their outreach programmes. Welcome Chris. Thank you. Thanks for coming and spending your time with us. Um, we're going to make it really easy and start out with your five simple pleasures. Sorry, you said really easy. Yeah, <laughs> don't think too hard. Uh, quick fire, football, number one. <laughs> Children, number two, which I should have put at number Whoops. one. <laughs> um, this isn't recorded, later. is it? <laughs> I can switch it around in editing as well. Okay, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Um... Uh, no, I, 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 yeah, five, five is challenging. Generally, generally, I think, um, yeah, I mean, it's just a, it sounds like a really crap CV, where you know, it's like, oh, I like socialising, and you know, that's okay. Um, you know, I like spending time with friends. I like um, getting out into nature, and um, yeah, we've got a little escape um, place to escape to um, with the family. Um, I enjoy being there, and um, yeah, quiet, mm. which isn't compatible with number two. So. I was going to say, if you don't mention like the forest or something in that outfit you're <laughs> yeah, wearing, yeah, yeah. then trees, yeah. no one can see Chris, but he looks like a proper lumberjack. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think that's four, but he's finished. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to devalue the top four by putting in something that I only quite like. That's quite all right. Yeah. That's quite all right. Um, I mean, family are, are big ones. I'll let you slide on the football, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, be good to hear more about your work and mm-hmm. how the values that you live by, or maybe you want to start with telling us your top three values or a value that you um, is, is essential to who you are. Um, yeah, I guess I guess I um, my one of my big influences is my, my dad, and he always was very. He was a headmaster, and you know, sort of like a lot of young boys sort of look up to dad and. Um, he was always very fair, you know. He was like my headmaster at school. He was your headmaster. He was my headmaster oh, right, at school. Okay. Uh, my my mum was my headmistress <laughs> oh, when I was goodness, at primary school, right, and okay. then I moved to my dad's school. <laughs> um, so so, um, but that idea, the idea of fairness, um, was always like super um, strong from him. Be, you know, because he not only wanted to be fair, but also to be seen to be being fair to you know, not preferential treatment, all the rest of it. Um, so I, I think um, you know. When when I see a lack of fairness, that um, you know gets my 
um, my blood boiling, but also um, it's something that I think is really important in, you know, some of the work I do and, and you know, the judgments I, I, you know, sort of instinctively make about people or, or you know, um, other projects or, or things I want to get involved in or, or put my time to is about, um, I think it's really important that there's a um, some sort of sense of fairness behind that and, and giving people opportunities that they, they might have been... Um, you know, that haven't been available to them because of an unfair system or, or something that's out, out with of their um their sort of control. So I think that's that's something that's um super important to me. Um I think um kind of community, um again you know, um I don't, I'm assuming we'll go on to talk about um um what what I do and things but but that sense of community and, and building a community for people and um have what having that community around you can do for people um on a sort of personal level i think is, is super important i mean i think you know you can boil everything down you know that's the two very broad things community and, and and fairness um so i think yeah I'm, I'm, that makes a lot of sense to me and knowing and knowing a little bit about the tool library um and and you and how you work i think that's interesting coming from a kind of circular economy perspective because mm. sometimes that that's about fairness of, yeah. of the environment of the world of yeah, the people yeah. that inhabit it um slightly going back to your um childhood days because i'm interested in that a little bit yeah, yeah. were you treated disproportionately unfair because you were a son of the headmaster to prove a point or did you feel like actually i can see his fairness even with me yeah I mean in, in terms of my relationship with my dad and how I was treated by my dad I, I, yeah I, I think that was the thing that um that really resonated with me was that I was treated fairly by him I think sometimes there was and I think the thing that used to frustrate me was from you know peers and, and other kids and potentially other t- teachers but there was almost a you know because the world is nepotistic that, that there's an assumption that you know if Chris does well gets a good mark or whatever Oh well, it's because the teacher, you know, doesn't want to annoy their their mm. boss or whatever. Um, but but I always had you know very sort of um, strong belief, and you know, and I was a good kid, so I wasn't you know I wasn't maybe challenging as much as I could have could have done. But um, but I think that was the you know something I saw as unfair was the sort of I'm being um, a sort of unfairly sort of challenged by this in terms of people thinking that I'm getting a foot up when I'm actually I'm actually not and I, and I wasn't being held back or, or you know being sort of yeah that sort of um pushing back against the perception of preference you know so I actually get treated more harshly I, I don't think that was the case but mm. um yeah I think I think he I think he did a pretty good job of it I think nice I think he did as yeah. well <laughs> I think I think also um I guess um it's also kind of something because it's kind of quite a big part of me is that you know there's times where um you know if you want an easy life or or um you know perhaps there's a sort of opportunity to you know to not say something um even you know um if there's somebody closer to you who's who has done something that is unfair to someone's not close to you um you know i i would always um you know sort of speak up or, or you know make a point of that because i you know i don't think um you get to sort of you know you choose when you when you sort of um, you you sort of bring that into play, you know. If yeah. if you if you if you really believe that that something's unfair, then it, it's unfair all the time. Yes. Um, it's not just oh well, this is an awkward when conversation, so I'm, uh, yeah, I'll just not um, I'll not choose now as an opportunity to to do that. So I think yeah, um, 
that's got me into a bit of yeah. hot water sometimes. But um, <laughs> but I wouldn't be the, the person that I am if I, if I was dodging that kind of thing. So um, I'm okay with that. So leading up to 2015, is that when you started Edinburgh Tool Library? 2014. Um, that is correct. Um, yeah, sort of. Yeah, we we existed in 2014 and opened in 2015. Yeah. So leading up to that point, what did you do? Did you go to university? What did you do there? And then what did you do post university? And then what were the steps that led you to wanting to start up the mm-hmm. Edinburgh Tool Library? Um, so I, I, my educational background is in environmental science and um, forest ecology, strangely enough, um, back to the trees. Um, so, so I, I you know, I, I did a, an undergraduate degree in, in Stirling, um, and I did a bit of travelling. You know, worked a lot of dull, dull jobs. You know, sort of working for other people, working for companies. Um, went back and did um, a master's in forest ecology um, at Edinburgh University, which kind of brought me to live in Edinburgh for the first time. And then um, I went away travelling again. When I came back, I started working in the third sector, um, uh, working for various different charities, um, more on the sort of service side of things. Um, but when, um, so my, my sort of last, um, I'm not going to say proper job because this is a proper job, <laughs> but the, my last job working for somebody else was um, working as part of Enable Scotland, which is a national charity working with people with learning disabilities, like a campaigning organisation. and. Um, I was working in sort of supported employment stuff, um, so it was quite nice at that point that um, you know my sort of educational stuff that I'd, I'd you know basically left behind a few years behind before um, came back into play and was you know um, there's a you know there's a strong environmental uh, side of the, the Edinburgh Tool Library, um, but also the kind of idea of, of creating opportunities for people who society is unfair to um, you know there's a kind of thread running through there. Um, that that we're also able to to offer offer that as well and, and be part of what we do. So um, you know, it's kind of one of those um classic university degrees that you think, oh, you know, what was I just messing around for four years and is this ever going to come in? But actually, um, you know, sort of a, a long time down the line, it, it's actually it's actually become relevant. It's great. <laughs> we'll get there in the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At some point. Um, speaking of random or worse jobs, what are, can you tell us your worst job and and maybe what you took away from it? Um, I, I so I, I I worked for um, an insurance company at one point, um, and I mean the main thing I took away was that that the the idea of working for the man, you know, I I I very much felt like a, a tiny cog in a in a big money making machine and very much didn't enjoy that and you know just kind of I think when you work in that kind of world you sort of see behind the the facade of you know friendly mm-hmm. um you know friendly marketing materials and all the rest of it and and it just it just made me feel really gross and and you know um I remember someone well, a colleague walk, talking about how they would, were delighted because they successfully not paid out a claim to a, an old lady because she she without knowing had got um you know, some sort of um, modification on her Nissan Micra and she hadn't declared it and so they didn't pay out a massive insurance claim. And when, just, right? And I just thought, oh, great, good for you. You know, like, what's the, you know... Um, and it, it really made me feel kind of gross and, and um, that was what that was actually when I decided I wanted to go back into education because I, I just it was as much driven by not wanting to be in that world as... as um, and I, you know, never went back into the sort of corporate thing that's all third sector from then on. 
Well, that's a good. That was a good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I good got job out. for I that one. Yeah. <laughs> I guess if you don't know what you don't like, it's just as important. Yeah, as yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I like, definitely. Yeah. I mean, think. Um, you know, with with my background in support employment, sometimes you know we we'd, we'd be arranging work placements and visits for for things for people, and you know the the sometimes people would be quite disappointed when they went and did something and they're like, oh, I hated it. Or, but I think sometimes taking that taking off or crossing something off your list of well, I was wondering about this. You know, that can be a you know that can be productive as well. You know, I've actually experienced this, and I know I definitely don't want to do yeah. that. Well, you know, that's one less thing to wonder about. So. Yeah. No, I think that's good, and especially if we have young listeners. We always we're always thinking about them, kind of knowing that those crappy jobs are going to yeah. teach you something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not to get just, stuck there, but it just feels like failure at the time. Sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's sometimes really hard to process, but yeah, I mean. I'm never going to wonder if I want to work in it for an insurance company. <laughs> <laughs> but it goes back to the values as well. That really kind of highlighted mm. it's important for you yeah. to have value-based yeah. work. It's yeah. not just that they were, that maybe it was boring and you were sitting yeah. inside and those other aspects that yeah. you probably didn't like either. But yeah, yeah. Um, it'd be good to hear about the kind of biggest risk that you've taken to date around your kind of working life. Um, I mean, I think... You know, working in the third sector every day is a, is a, is a risk. Is a risk. <laughs> you know, there's a um, there's a there's an uncertainty of a um, you know sort of long term planning and you know um, you know even thinking about things too far in the future. You know, you you do tend to particularly as, as the sort of person you know the the book stops with me and um, you know so you you do live a little hand to mouth um, and you know I think I think even going into that kind of um, side of things is 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 tricky and, and I think I'm I'm privileged in that um you know the risk to me sort of um in terms of my my family support and you know everything that was around me um was minimized because I had that support in place and you know there's definitely some people who if they you know totally justifiably maybe don't want to take that risk um in sort of jumping off so you know when, when I um, sort of quit my job, my last job to focus on this. That was that was a, a you know a, a big sort of um, is this going to go anywhere? Is this going to be? You know, am I, I going to come crawling back in six months' time? You know, um, if grants don't come through, you know, um, or or is this a completely harebrained scheme um, that nobody's interested in? Um, so that that's definitely a risk. Um, but also, I think um, I also kind of think you know if you don't risk something, you know, it's a bit like what I was saying there about. Um, ticking off the sort of the bad the bad jobs it's a similar thing is you know you've got to when you're hypothesizing about what you want the future to be in a particular you know area or a particular job or a particular industry um you, you know you're, you're you're hypothesizing about something so you're taking a risk that that this is what it could look like or this is what people want or um and you know sometimes you're wrong um and but i think what what I like about where we've got to in this kind of journey with the tool library is that we're now big enough to take risks and for them not to not work and to use that as something to learn from rather than it being just the being end. Oh, like yeah oh well you know oh well that's the end you know yeah exactly that's a sort of dead stop on the line it's actually it's just a deviation or it's you know we we didn't know about these factors that influence it so um you know it's quite taking risks is it can be scary but it's also quite rewarding and you know. And when sometimes they pay off, and sometimes that's you know that's great. Mm. Yeah, I'd love to hear more about your. Do you have five year plan? What's your vision for the future for yourself, but also for Edinburgh Two Library? Um, 
Um, well, we've just done a um, plan for 2028 for the tool library, so I'll, I'll, okay, I'll, um, I'll start with that, so, <laughs> and then I'll quickly write a plan for myself for five years. <laughs> Maybe it should take some more time. But um, yeah, so so what we what we want to do with the tool library, um, it kind of goes in hand in hand with the sort of um, you know 2030 net zero plan with the, um, the or the stated plan of, of Edinburgh Council. Um, but also, um, there's a, a, a big um, push to sort of tackle poverty in the in the city, um, and that's both two things that are quite directly addressed by um, sharing of things. So, you know, the idea of, of a resource already existing in the community, and um, making the access to that resource as efficient as possible. It means that you don't have to. You know, the example I would use would be you know a drill. Um, if you have 50 people who only occasionally need to use a drill. You know, you don't need to create fifty drills. You just need to get one drill into fifty people's hands. So, you know, that's the. With that comes the fact that that's one drill that needs to be manufactured. That's one set of components need to be put put you know put together. That's one drill that needs to be transported instead of fifty. And um, so you're you're immediately reducing the carbon footprint of the item, um, and and the the carbon footprint t- um, associated with the use is is you know a fraction of the the actual um, lifetime. Of the item itself, so so using it more does not um, make much of a difference at all. Um, but also that means that there's there's 49 people who aren't spending you know 120 quid buying a drill that they use once. Um, and so with the with the strategy in in Edinburgh, and um, what we're trying to do is put more um, locations that people can collect tools. So um, both giving like more people access to equipment. But also reducing the the distance that they need to travel to come and get it. So it's it's goes hand in hand with the sort of twenty minute neighbourhood idea. Mm. Um, so we want people to walk down the street to get a to borrow a tool. We don't want them, you know, we have members from the other side of Edinburgh that may well you know drive across the city to come and get um, a couple of tools and then go back and you know um, when it comes to a carbon um, side of things there that's. You know that's obviously creating a carbon footprint in itself, but that's also assuming that someone's got access to a vehicle, and there's you know there's lots of problematic things with that. So what we want to do is have um, we're aiming for fifteen um, locations around the city, um, across the city, so anywhere within the the bypasses and the sea, um, and they will be served by four um, sort of tool hubs, so you know tool libraries, and the idea will be that the the, the satellite locations, as we're calling them, will be. Um, sort of pop-up locations so that we don't need permanent spaces for them they'll be in public buildings libraries that okay. kind of thing um so yeah so so that's our aim for for five years so we, we're we're currently um looking at the sort of um the outcomes and the, the planning and what we need to get in place in terms of um resources um you know partnerships things like that um but that's that's where we want to get to we're sort of working through the plan and we're, we're working on the sort of baseline assessment of of where we are in terms of the the, the things that we're tackling on that that kind of journey um so we'll we'll have a sort of um baseline assessment hopefully by the start of start of the new year um and then and then we can we know where we're at and then we know we can sort of plan where we're going how many um volunteers do you have at the minute uh we've got just over 50 i think okay. um so that you know in a range of some people are um you know the people that that you will meet if you come and borrow a tool from the tool library you know the, the sort of face-to-face volunteers but we've got and people who help out in the workshops we've got people who help out with data crunching and graphics we've got folks that come and do volunteer builds we've got um you know a couple of guys who come in every week to help with the the preparation of all the reservations you know um, and we, we we actually i think one thing that i'm really proud of with the tool library is that you know we have because it's helpful to have almost volunteer roles identified we, we have them but we're also 
able to sort of um, create things for people who you know who traditional volunteer volunteering might not work for or that um, you know if you if you have a very rigid kind of this is what you do if you're a volunteer um, it, you know there needs to be a flexibility so we, we when people come to us we can say well you know um, you know what are your skills what are your interests what do you want to get out of it and maybe we can create something that suits suits mm. that more um, rather than just saying we you have option A B or C and how many um, members uh, members we've gotten uh, just under two thousand so uh, yeah we're we're sort of we seem to be the non if you if you rule out pandemics um it seems to increase about around about thirty percent a year um, membership year on year um brilliant in normal times just so we plug how do people join and and what do they get um yeah yeah so um I mean to to join the tool if you go on the website it's the easiest way to do it or you can pop into one of our um, locations but um it's thirty quid and you get access to all of our tools which is I think pushing three thousand um you know garden DIY painting decorating all that kind and of that's stuff. that's 30 quid annually annually right? yeah one once a year so people know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. sometimes people are trying to pay every time they come in no it's 30 quid one off and you also get access to both of our workshops as well so you can you know we're not we're not anticipating many people going to take a table saw home um but they can come into our workshop and use it and um you know or, or you know any of the bigger equipment um, and there's volunteers in there that can help them and advise yeah. them and hold a bit of wood if they need it you know yeah. all that kind of stuff Amazing, so good. Okay, slight switch. I know I asked about your five-year plan, but I want to ask you about your uh, last state of flow or the last time you had a feeling of awe. Mm, um, the last, um, I don't really know what the first bit means, so I'm going to go for the second cool. bit. Cool. Um, I, I think the, the when uh, our second kid, Mirren, was born, so, so both our kids were born at home, um, and... Yeah, like being there for the birth and, and you know, I was in a, a state of awe for my, awe for or with my wife, you know, mm-hmm. it, um, and, and of the kind of, um, you know, what what a body can do and, and produce and, and, you know, put itself through. And and also like the, I think I, I'm kind of in awe that, you know, um, somebody loves you enough to put themselves through that. <laughs> Twice. <laughs> yeah, twice, twice, and you know, second time knowing what was coming, and willing to do that again. Um, you know, so and and it's just the, you're the most amazing, you know, sort of. Um, yeah, I'm not one for sort of fuzzy language and stuff, but it was kind of you know almost like um, spiritual kind of thing. Just watch watching this little like somebody somebody said said to me afterwards like, isn't it weird that you know when you went in the house you know there was three of you so um, the two of us and our son and then the next day he got up and there was four of you left next and I'm like god that is insane you know it's like they've they've just come from come from seemingly nowhere it's fairly (laughs) obvious where they were coming from yeah (laughs) I'm so glad you said that like if he doesn't talk about his um, children's birth I have to kick him under the table (laughs) Um, yeah, usually it's the other way around. People are more happy to talk about their state of flow than sense of ab. So that we appreciate that story. Thank you. For no sharing. problem. Thanks a lot. Cheers Thanks for having me. Bye. Bye. To hear more about Triporty and Keystone, you can find us on all social media platforms. Please head over to our website and subscribe to our newsletters, which includes monthly blogs to provide helpful insights into how we craft our work and life. This has been Working for Progress. We hope you join us again.